Welcome in everyone. It's episode 61 of the 1056 podcast, the hockey star Rick Nash episode, former New York Ranger, Columbus Blue Jacket, Rick Nash. You didn't like Rick Nash? So Too apparently, bad. Apparently, fuck Curly Culp. No, I was going to also add Curly Culp, former Kansas City Chief, who could forget? The man. Say that to his face, he'll probably leave you alone because he's probably a very nice man but he's much larger than you so you'd be intimidated that's true that's very true i'm a why do we talk about athletes on a beer podcast that's a great question i'm glad that you asked that so the reason why we started this at episode 23 i said the michael jordan episode right when people hit 23 years old it's the their michael jordan year as some people like to say sometimes so i took that principle and i just uh, kept saying it after every other episode i i just stuck so if you're new here that was a perfect uh like accidental explanation of why we always talk about athletes in the beginning of the show and we're sports we might change that up we might we might play with that well once we get to 100 we there's no athletes that being with 100 so oh so then that's when we change it or before i don't know dude we'll play with it tyler Tyler, last episode was super yeah. cool, and we are keeping with that trend now. Yes. Um, but before we get there, you and I both got an email as of today of this episode going uh, being recorded about mm-hmm. abomination. Whoa. What? I got an email. I got I an email, sure. dude. I got an email from you 12%. Email? Yeah. Oh, that's why. Uh, I didn't. I honestly had no clue where that was going. I got a yeah. meme. Um, because dude, our favorite um, meme is coming back. Fog memes. Fog day. Rare fog day is back. It's happening. I went. The world's to the first gonna one. end, folks. This is where we die. Everyone's gonna be like, "It's a sea of fog." I can't see. I'm so excited about that. I'm so excited. Okay. We will be this sharing is- our favorite fog memes on Instagram <laughs> and reading them live on the air as they come through. I cannot wait for that. So, yep, rare fog day. It's by abomination out of 12%. In my opinion, the best new brewery in this state, maybe the Northeast from the past five years, as far as when it's open, easy. Everyone saying, no, it's not better than Hill Farms at our tree house. It's the best new brewery in New England, maybe the country. It's the best beer, period. It's better than every beer. You know what? Fine. You can go that way. I don't care. I don't know if I believe that. I don't know. If this if <laughs> uh, if this is your first episode, right? The, because of the subject matter, right? Well, I know Jeff alluded to it. Uh, we have head brewer, brewmaster co-founder of two roads phil markowski on genius this show the goat people say uh all around yeah, baller we, we had him on the show we got him on the show the real phil markowski the it guy. was a great a great conversation this guy said he want was loved talking about beer and wanted to talk about beer and then he absolutely delivered it was sick i promise you that for those who are listening who think they know a lot about beer Maybe you, you don't know as much as you think. Not a maybe. You don't. You dumb. Phil smart. We dumb. He smart. That is how this natural evolution works. Okay? And I'm okay with that because I actually felt at the end of that episode, I felt a little smarter. 
I did. And I tried to explain everything I learned to uh, my girlfriend, and she said I wasn't speaking English. Good. So that either means that that went over her a little bit, which I don't blame her because it definitely went over me, or I was so blown away by the knowledge that was thrown at my face, I I couldn't speak words. Mm. My ability for language Mm. was replaced by beer knowledge. And I had to work it back. You just said that's probably Hosh- the one. You just said Ryan Hoshkaba and horse blanket like forwards and reverse like a yeah. hundred times. Yeah, and that's because that's that's all your vernacular yeah. that you got, which is good. Um, so Absolute yeah, so, genius and a wonderful guest. So there's there's probably going to be a few people who are going to like scroll through and be like, oh, I recognize that name. Click. That's how podcasts go. I I don't want to sound vain enough. To be like, that's what I do. Listen to- yeah, that's what I do. That's too. what I do I'm with not, our, our our podcast. I know it's what you do. You don't listen to our episodes. You don't even contribute no. to the stats. You're not even a producer listen, for your own I, damn show. I, I, no, I listen to every episode. I skip along. True. To, I do. I, I do that Because because I know because <laughs> I know what happens. True. I skip to certain points to see how if there are parts that I edited that see how they came out. And if there's so funny parts in the, and if there's funny parts <laughs> later on in the podcast that I want to hear again, I'll just skip along and make sure everything sounds nice. I kind of do a quality assurance type of thing. Like or so I, I text you be like, hey, that. something happened. Yeah, so we get it. This is probably gonna be the one that you're gonna stop and listen. So we already explained the intro. Great. I was gonna do that anyway in a very forced way. You made it sound natural. Awesome. So uh, from episode 23 on, we talk about an athlete. Obviously, it devolves into something crazy. That's called a natural transition from our introduction to the subject matter of the episode. That's a little peek behind the podcast curtain. You're welcome, okay? If you want to go. I want to speak for all our listeners. Great. This is going to go over well. What on earth are you talking about? There's no There's no curtain. We're at that is the peak behind the curtain. That's how we operate. It happens naturally. If you peep at us behind our curtain, I will call the cops. I am changing. How dare you? You know what? I'm part of the problem. I perpetrated that whole situation. So how dare you? I'm sorry. So anyway, <laughs> uh, this is where everyone's going to stop listening right about now. Just kidding. Uh, so if you want to follow us on social media... Please as do. of right now, please as do. of right now, we're only on Instagram at one zero five six p o d c a s t. That's ten fifty six podcast. You're probably thinking, maybe they just post a photo for every single time they have a beer or an episode. You would be so incorrect. I am mad at this made up listener, new listener. I'm pissed. It's not like that. We have. A video beer review series specifically for out of Connecticut beers. It's called 1050 Sips. Because oh. they're short videos, small doses. We that Fuck, is different smart. from what we do I on the podcast. Think that's what... If you are new, we do interviews and we do Connecticut beer reviews, but long form. We might delve in a little bit more, but it's all audio, no visual. Follow us there on the Insta. Follow yep. Tyler on on Untapped. Yep. At what's my Untapped? T I E L E R Tyler. Whoa! Good job. And, and you can I'm follow at, Jeff at, at Red Marker. At Red Marker. And um, 
And be sure to subscribe to or follow us, depending on what you listen to for our, the podcast, to get notifications when we put out new episodes, which is every other week for the podcast. Guys, it means the world to us. And, it's- you know, at a certain point, we want to, we, if we see those numbers grow, we have fun, cool content ideas. We have our executive producers working mm-hmm. around the clock. Shout out to mm-hmm. them to uh, help you know put on a are. show that will, yes, you know who you are. You put out a show that will please you, that mm-hmm. will comfort you, mm-hmm. that will kiss you at, to sleep at night. Whoa. We'll read you a story. The podcast you can buy the curtain show. kissing. What kind of beer podcast is this? A little. Whoa! Uh, well, it gets a you know you know it might get a little sensual. It might get a little <laughs> dangerous. It might get oh, a little what? out of this world. <laughs> you know. <Jesus. laughs> you just described like every beer podcast that I've listened to, <laughs> minus the sensual stuff. It might we get a little about... mysterious. It might. We might. We might delve into the truth of history. You've you've described the third. First, the first thing about beer, the second thing about podcast, and the third thing of like describing what a podcast is is that you never know what could happen. You put a bow on that so perfectly. So we're not like all the other podcasts. Just go go right to the interview, guys. We have the real, the man himself, Phil Markowski. Yeah. Shout out real quick. We want to say a shout out to our previous guest last episode, Cat Manning. Um, she has been a great friend and she was a great guest on that show. And she's, she is the one who kind of helped us. Uh, we say that because she was the one who kind of helped us connect with Phil yeah. so we can organize oh, that I, interview. I, so I, I can... just want to shout out to Kat for being such a great friend and let's not let them wait any longer. Ty, let's send them on their Fine. Way. I was going to do a two hour Joe Rogan uh, length esque introduction to really warm people up to who we are. I'm totally messing. You're here for Phil. Let's not beat around the bush. So here he is, uh, brewmaster, head brewer, whatever you want to call it, but co-founder of Two Roads Brewing Company. They're based out of Stratford, Connecticut. They are the 44th largest producing brewery in all 50 of these glorious states of the United States of America. Here it is right now. Raise hail and praise Dale, and we'll see you in the next episode. Bye. And we are back. I will honestly cut to the chase here. Um, the person who we're interviewing today, a lot of people would consider to probably be one of the, I guess, founding fathers of the beer industry in Connecticut. I don't think that's a stretch in saying that, nor am I trying to gas up the person we're interviewing today. Um, so without further ado, I want to welcome on Phil Markowski. He is the head brewer of Two Roads and the entire Two Rose uh, enterprise. So Phil, in all honesty, I know I've said this a million times just through email and media in person. Uh, thank you again for coming on the show and for doing this and having this conversation. We've really been looking forward to it. So thank you again. Yes. All right. Thank you, Tyler, for the opportunity. Um, been you know looking forward to it. I always like to uh, to talk about beer in whatever context, and and so I'm I'm totally totally cool with it, and and. We're going to get going. So awesome. What's on your mind? Yeah. Um, so he just called you a founding father. Your thoughts on that one. That was, <laughs> that's big praise there, Phil. Uh, well, I, I, I appreciate that. I, I have to say my first reaction is damn, I'm old. <laughs> <Yeah>. Oh, great. <laughs> and, 
you know, I have been doing this for a while and, you know, I'll, I'll put it in terms of, um, number of breweries right now. We're like at, uh, 8,500 or so breweries, the U S mm-hmm. soon to be 9,000 doesn't seem to be slowing down anytime soon. Yeah. And when I got into this, uh, I want to say there was maybe a hundred, 120 breweries wow. in the States. So yeah, it was a long time ago. And, um, you know, I started my career in in Connecticut at New England Brewing Company. This is the original, founded in 1989 in Norwalk. Yep. And I was the original brewmaster there. Um, I was there for six years, mm-hmm. along with uh, Ron Page, who's legendary in Connecticut brewing scene and and, and national home brewing scene. Um, he came out as brewer about a year after I did at, at uh, New England. And then we both kind of went our separate ways um, around the same time. Ron went to work for uh, an equipment company in Connecticut. And then eventually, not long after, wound up at City Steam. Oh, right. I went to uh, start a small brew pub in Merrimack, New Hampshire, right around the corner from Anheuser-Busch. Um, and then a year or so later, uh, went down to Southampton, Long Island, where I was for about 17 years. Mm-hmm. And, uh, then, then here at two roads. So, uh, I've been, the, this is my 32nd year in crafts brewing Oh wow! as a professional brewer. And I've, you know, I've seen a lot of changes in the industry over the time mm-hmm. and, um, you know, most, you know, close to home, I, I saw, um, Connecticut just really do a turnaround. Honestly, after we opened two roads shortly thereafter, I had long been frustrated hearing about, you know, other markets, the, you know, Colorado market, the Bay area, uh, Pacific Northwest being real craft brewing hotspots and Connecticut just always seemed to not be that impressed that about local breweries. Yep. You know, we had our following. We definitely had people who loved the fact that we were there in Norwalk, uh, we opened up uh, just a couple of months after Elm City opened up, mm-hmm. and um, you know, then a couple of others followed. But even when we opened Two Roads, I, I think we were like brewery number eight or nine in the state. Yeah, and this was 2012, and now um, we're 100 plus. And I understand that something like 15 to 20 breweries opened during COVID. Yeah, which is just <laughs> Amazing. Which I, I thought it was going to so be the opposite. I thought we were going to lose some. I, yeah. You know, we lost one or two, but, um, you know, everyone is really adaptive and resourceful during, during COVID and found ways to survive. But, you know, the thing is, a lot of the breweries are really small. So, you know, overheads are lower on the low side and, um, you know, people adapted quickly and, and, developed online ordering system, did beer to go, mm-hmm. uh, ourselves included. And that got us through a lot of it. And then for those of us who were, you know, selling packaged beer in, you know, what we call the, the off-premise liquor stores and bars and, uh, you know, liquor stores, not bars and restaurants, that's called on-premise. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we realized that people were, instead of going out to bars and restaurants drinking, they were just buying beer and drinking at home. And, you know, that's, that became the kind of the 
COVID norm. Um, but even folks were nervous about going in stores. So, you know, our, our beard to go business did, did quite well and, and adapted, you know, quite well. So, um, yeah, it's been, it's been a whirlwind last couple of years, but particularly the last year in the industry, but it shows no signs of, of abating. It's just going strong and it's, uh, it's great to see. I think people are very eager to get back out there and be part of those events um, that breweries hold, especially two roads, you know, and people are very excited. I'm sure for Oktoberfest, you know, now that things are opening up and I think people want to go even more now, like it would be a missed opportunity because it's so precious. We didn't have it. We didn't have any of these things for a year. And now it, when it comes around, if you're thinking twice, we'll think a third time and go, go, <laughs> go to these right, things. We've all had a taste of, you know, normal life getting snatched away from us. Yeah. And I think you're right. That's going to, people are going to tend to savor these moments more and, you know, realize they, they, they can be fleeting. They're not a, a guaranteed. You, um, you mentioned before while you, while you were um, laying out your journey, uh, you've seen a lot of changes in the beer industry. What was, what would be one that you would, that was more sh most shocking to you that maybe you didn't see coming or you think was most impactful? Well, one thing, the thing that comes to mind, you know, looking way back as to now is, is how the U S beer scene has, has gone from being, uh, I think fair to say the laughing stock of the brewing world, um, to, the tastemaker, you know, the driver of change and innovation that is, is now influencing the old world. I mean, when I started, and it's a pretty typical story, I started as a home brewer. Um, I, my first beer epiphany was in the UK, you know, trying Cascales and, um, you know, realizing that beer could be more than what I was led to believe, which, you know, in college and, and, you know, my early 20s, it was about uh, American, log, you know, mainstream American lagers. I, you know, I, you know, I remember it was a splurge to buy Michelob. Yeah. <laughs> or, or Rolling Rock was a splurge, Ooh. you know. It was, so, <laughs> awesome. Rolling you know, these are beers that are essentially the same damn thing, you know. Um, you split hairs trying to figure out the differences. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, travel to UK. And it's the same story with... Um, you know, Ken Grossman at Sierra Nevada, you know, those, those guys, they, the, the original guy is uh, besides Fritz Maytag that people talk about is Jack McAuliffe who started new Albion brewing company in like the early eighties before Sierra Nevada. Hmm. Uh, he kind of, you know, fell out of the scene apparently after that, but um, you know, that same story they tried beers in the UK and realized that there's, there's more to it. And so English ales became the early focus of craft brewing in the U S and that was the, the, the norm for, for quite some time. Mm -hmm. um, and then, you know, we kind of, as an industry gained some confidence ourselves and ourselves and um, you know, being typical Americans, if, you know, two of something was good, then, you know, nine and a half was better. <laughs> and, and it just became, you know, we became um, somebody who just took some 
basic ideas, the classic idea, ideas and ran with them or took them to the extreme. And, you know, here in the States, we can do that because we're not beholden to tradition. We, we don't have a strong brewing tradition. In fact, early craft brewers were running away from what was our tradition or our status quo. Um, so we have a lot more freedom and flexibility to do what some people might consider outrageous things. Ah, that's so you know, American, like, so much freedom. <laughs> triple dry hop and you know and just just kind of um pedal to the metal yeah yeah so so now to see you know uh brewers in europe coveting american hops and you know went to vietnam a couple of years ago and you know go to a brewery that's you know is owned by uh, a british expat and the, the the head brewers from new zealand um but you know, they, they were far away from the U.S. and they had, they were touting their New England style IPA. Oh, wow. <laughs> at, you know, in, in Saigon. So it just, mm-hmm. it's just wild to see that kind of stuff now. And even, you know, there's not many, but there's a couple of breweries in Germany that are at least, you know, in, in earnest attempting to do American style IPAs. And I never imagined I would see that. Yeah, geez. It really has come a long way. And I think to your point, something that you brought up that I never really thought of too is that the American beer scene is so new relative to the rest of the world. You like the German, the Trappist ales and what have you. So I feel like this sort of renaissance, if you will, of the past like couple years where breweries are getting very experimental, not just necessarily making a smoothie style Berliner that people question to be beer itself, but also triple dry hopping things or making a quad IPA, like pushing the limitations of what is traditional. I feel like we're starting to see in this sort of like growing pains era of the 2020s and beyond as far as like the beer scene go. Um, so it's it's really interesting to see sort of what's going to come out of this now that there's a lot of beer drinkers that are interested, a lot of brewers that want to make crazy beer. And, you know, obviously a lot of the, the bigger establishments like a two rows, like an area two that are sort of like continuing to lead the way as well. So I'm, this is why I'm, I'm very excited about that too, to your point. Um, I guess on that note, as, as far as beer has evolved, um, when it came to area two, obviously area two opened up seven years after the original two roads was area two always in the game plan to open up like a separate location for, your lambics for something that's more experimental like it is in the name uh or was it sort of one beer that prompted this change or was it these trends throughout america that prompted this conversation of maybe we should open up a second location just for these sort of experiments it was more the latter you know when we started uh planning two roads around 2010 um and even through our first four or five years, we, we never imagined opening a second place. Mm. Um, it just wasn't conceived of. Uh, a lot became available that was that that abutted part of our property. Mm. So that piqued our our interest. Um, you know, sour beers and um shall we say, you know, mixed fermentation beers were becoming uh, more popular. Mm-hmm. And, you know, to to dial back the to to more of the beginning, we, we have been barrel aging and barrel souring beers at two roads since the very beginning. Mm-hmm. 
before we opened the doors, we met with uh, two professors from Sacred Heart University who are who are home brewing enthusiasts, beer enthusiasts, and also yeast experts. And we, you know, we became friendly with them. In fact, I just got out of a meeting with them prior to this, uh, to signing on and calling you. Oh, wow. And, and they come in periodically and we, you know, we talk about new projects we could do just that, um, I wouldn't say push the envelope, but, but help us learn new things. Like we're doing in-depth studies on our cool ship and what, what uh, yeast and bacteria are present at different times. And just in the you know, infancy of that study, um, but really at the beginning, they were, they were here to help us out with isolating wild yeast from our site. Okay. And that, that, that we're doing while we're renovating the building and getting it ready. Uh, so we're, we're long of that mindset. I've been doing barrel aging for 25 years or so oh, wow. um, of various beers. So it's not, it's not a new thing to me. Um, it's, you know, certainly expanded and my horizons have expanded in that regard, but uh, I've been putting beers in barrels for, you know, over 20 years. And uh, we were doing this from the very beginning at Two Roads using experimental uh, yeasts, wild yeast from the environment. Um, and, you know, trying to culture and isolate wild yeast from bottles of Belgian beer that we liked. And we had a barrel program since the beginning. We just had it in this small building uh, away from everything else. And, the, you know, the thing is, at a large production brewery like Two Roads, we've got to be as clean as we can be. Mm-hmm. And doing mixed fermentation beers in the same environment as we're trying to make, you know, ales and and lagers uh is just not a a sound idea so the only reason the only way around that is is a separate facility and that's that's what the one of the driving forces behind uh area two was so you know we saw we had been doing products like that we had you know lambic style beers released in 2014 um and, and throughout, we did a couple of releases a year. So we were doing all this at, at, at before Area 2, but just simply um, on a much smaller scale. So mm-hmm. that was an opportunity to scale up Area 2. And, you know, now having, even since we started construction on, on Area 2, having gotten into, um, you know, hard seltzer production, which was hard to ignore and has been hard to ignore for a lot of breweries. Yeah. <laughs> um that that is um you know another aspect of our business and then you know we're, we're installing a distillery at area two. Oh wow and we are you know doing our rtd or vodka based canned cocktail now that we released um just a month and a half ago mm-hmm. so so we're getting into all this and uh, now with recreational cannabis being legal in, in Connecticut or, you know, about to be, yep. um, who knows, you know, what that'll bring on. So we have, we have morphed into a craft beverage company as, as opposed to, you know, strictly a brewery. And uh, over at Area 2, we've been do, experimenting with hard kombucha 
Oh yeah. And that in is of itself is an interesting type of fermentation. So, you know, I love beer. Beer is my first love always will be. Um, but I, I, you know, what got me into beer initially was this kind of transformation of almost, almost like magic, you know, mm-hmm. and you have this, this liquid broth that you make out of, you know, barley and different grains yep. and hops. And then the yeast turns that into beer. It's, um, it's something that doesn't, you know, that I, that I still marvel at the, all these years later. So I'm into fermentation, you know, I've made cheese, I make yogurt. Um, you know, it just, it's, it's, it's something that fascinates me. So all aspects of fermentation I'm interested in and, you know, different types of beverage, either, you know, recreating historical beverages or, um, you know, breaking new ground. All of it is, is interesting to me. And, um, you know, I, I, like to think of myself as progressive and adaptive to changing times. And, you know, I know some brewers who, you know, no, it's German lagers and that's it. Mm -hmm. And I I respect that, but that's, that's not me. Mm -hmm. You said you make your own cheese. I have in the past. I don't do it, you know, on a regular basis, but I have in the past, but that, you know, that's a form of fermentation. Listen, Phil, I'm just saying, I think there's a huge market for two roach cheese. (laughs) <laughs> i wouldn't rule it out i'm just saying you have at least one customer and i'll try it enough. all right you have two all right it's a win absolutely yeah you said you were doing uh st- you're doing studies on uh, different types of wild yeast did i hear that right i just wanted to like they have people kind of uh doing doing science you're doing a major science over there kind of doing research on do- various things did i hear that right we are, I, you know, I wouldn't say we're doing it all ourselves. But I was about to ask, we, like, who's who's have, who's part of that process? Is that in house? Is that? It's kind of just curious how it's that. It's a process. combination. Okay. Yeah, we have, you know, we have, uh, you know, degreed microbiologists on staff, and, um, you know, they're doing some of the work. But but I mentioned um, Jeff Stock, Stopper and Kirk Bartholomew, who are professors at Sacred Heart in the biology department. Um, Kirk in particular has worked with yeast most of his academic career. Um, and and he and Jeff are both home brewers or, or have been in the past. Um, you know, I know Kirk's got his own sourdough culture that he covets. Um, that's another form of, of fermentation. <laughs> but they, they are the experts who, who help us, um, you know, with a real um, esoteric, you know, real hardcore science behind the yeast and trying to, you know, sequence and identify what stuff is. So yes, one thing we're doing is they've taken samples from our cool ship of the wort that comes out of our cool ship and then uh, have have sequenced it for DNA to identify the specific organism. That is but that's awesome. something we're definitely not capable of doing on our own. <laughs> you know, we don't have that we don't have the knowledge, first of all, we don't have the equipment either, mm-hmm. but it's so, you know, they're, they're a great resource. Um, and you know, some of it, it's not entirely practical, but it's just cool and interesting. Right. So a lot of this sounds so, like Jurassic park, Phil. And, 
uh, I'm I'm about it. I don't think that should be a warning. I think DNA sequencing <laughs> sounds just right out of that movie. And if we get a giant yeast monster out of all this research, at least we got good beer with it too. Well, we hope. We can only hope. <laughs> it doesn't all make good beer. I'll be here to say that. Yeah, because yeah, I remember going back to like getting the samples from the yeast. I think mm-hmm. when Urban Funk was first released and philosophic i think it was either yourself or one of the individuals from sega heart talked about how some of the strains of yeast came from new jersey and like kind of blew up to connecticut because of hurricane sandy am i remembering that right no that you, you do have a good memory yes so um the the yeast that we use to primary ferment urban funk mm-hmm. which is is a product that we we had in the works um long before we conceived of building area two. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, we have, you know, what we call the OG tank, which is a, you know, 200 gallon tank that has had beer in it um, with the S13 strain and a bunch of other stuff that's kind of gotten in there over the years. It's been in continuous use since May of 2013. Oh, wow. So eight years now, the tank has never been emptied. It's been, you know, we only take half of the volume out at a given time and you know replace it with fermented beer that then further ferments and keeps the the stew of microbes that that is in there alive and and functioning um so s13 yes that was that was collected during hurricane sandy mm-hmm. and it's just you know we have absolutely no evidence that that it came from new jersey oh, that's true <laughs> but you know it it it's it may have blown in from another state, another region. We don't know, but um, it, it you got to admit it makes a good story because oh, you yeah. remembered it. Yeah, yeah. No, it does. I think it was that. And then the story with Philosomic was trying to get the balsamic vinegar from Europe to America. And there was something with customs that you had to like market as something else other than what it was or like you had to market as oil and that's how it came over or like the barrels. That is obviously less of memory for me, but I, I don't know if that's the story with Philosomic, if that's correct. Uh, it's also true. Yeah, the, the, the 14-year-old balsamic vinegar that I sourced in, in Italy while on a trip to um, factory test our kegging machine and our bottle filler, um, I put this container of 14-year-old balsamic, this gallon jug, in um, the, the crate with our machine and somebody you know, at the factory was clever enough to write engine oil <laughs> on, on the container. And it was there when we uncrated it. So <laughs> that, was the, that was the first batch of balsamic. And that was, you know, that was 2012. So oh, wow. to my earlier point, we've been at this for a while with, with these, um, you know, these beers that are now, you know, part of the area two profile yeah no absolutely philosophic is now called europa mm-hmm. still good because i didn't want my name or my face on the label anymore <laughs> and i never did but they did it behind my back <laughs> i didn't know that actually it's a lot of pressure being the face of something huh uh pressure and it's just plain weird <laughs> for me i agree 
for me. I mean, some people may totally dig it, but you know, to me, it's just like, whoa, that's so weird. <laughs> yeah, it's it's funny. Um, with a beer like Philosophic, for me, I got into beer this much. I would say within the past like seven, eight years, maybe a decade if we're pushing it. Um, so things like uh, Lambic or a Sour Style almost with Balsamic Vinegar, it was very wary at first and ended up being very good. When you release that beer to the public, is there some sort of hesitation that's like, I don't know if the public is going to like this? Or do you know when you try it, you can sort of pride yourself on saying, I've made this great batch. I don't care what everyone else thinks. I'm proud of this. Like, Ooh, how do you question? Like, weird. Yeah, style. how nervous do you get, Phil? Um... No, I'm, not, I, it's, I'm always a little bit nervous. I think that's healthy and that's that's a good mindset to have, not, not to, you know, think everything you do is going to be a success. Um, you know, how specifically how Philsomic started was, you know, again, I was over in Italy doing, doing um, factory acceptance testing on three of our machines and our the company that made our bottle filler happened to be right in the, the Modena area where the, where the traditional balsamic vinegar is made. Oh. And they set me up with a tour there. Um, it also said, you know, buy a bottle of anything you want and take it home with you. Right. So, you know, I, I did the tour of the factory. I chose a 25 year old um, balsamic vinegar that, that had only been in mulberry casks. Okay. And I still have a little bit of it eight years later. I still have a, a tiny bit at home. But I thought, you know, I've got to figure out a way to to use this great aged balsamic vinegar in a beer. And that's how it started. And, you know, I thought of um, Rodenbach or Flanders Red or Flanders Brown has, you know, some acetic acid character as, as part of its profile. Mm -hmm. And uh, I thought, okay, well, something along those lines would could work with this. And uh, it was, you know, it was small batch. It wasn't like we were, you know, doing a, a, a huge batch of this stuff. It was fairly small and, and experimental. It wasn't, you know, not everything. Like I said, every you make mistakes, you do experiments, you, you know, you take a chance and not everything works. Uh, and I've had plenty of failures over the years, but this one, you know, it just, it was, uh, unusual enough and also not unusual because, you know, again, these, these obscure, but classic Belgian styles from Flanders have that, that characteristic. And so it's not completely alien to, um, you know, you know, somebody who's a real aficionado of beer. So that's that was kind of where that one started. Oh wow, yeah, it's that was one thing that really sort of sort of turned me like turned my whole view of beer upside down because I was like, well, I, I you know, I guess beer isn't always just an IPA or a lager or a pilsner. As silly as that sounds now, like seeing like hearing it all those years later, um, trying it and sort of realizing how you made it that flanders red style almost close enough to like a lambic style i know i'm probably butchering that but uh it, it's just interesting and it kind of truly shows that um 
with beer with anything fermentation wise like you say i mean like you can do a million different things with it and it's always going to be an interesting outcome so i'm I'm always here for that to jump off of that phil we you know we have the people in the community will always argue that certain styles of what people call beer is not beer but we would call them beer um, we hear that about berliner weiss stuff would um smoothie style berliner weisses yeah smoothie styles berliner weiss excuse me and um what where is your line do you have a line for what you would actually call beer before you start calling it something else oh uh, that's a good question um i mean i don't have a kind of conscious line and and you know again i like as i said earlier like to think of myself as uh having you know some plasticity not not being so rigid that i can't accept um you know shifting definitions of things that's normal with beer and anything else it's that's in either the culinary arts or you know art form in general there's there's always uh shifting definitions of things and and uh you know i guess i might lean on the government's (laughs) um definition that if it's got 51 percent barley malt in it then i i guess it's beer and um sure. I, I think probably the people who make beer slushies or smoothies um i'm not sure how much they do the math in terms of how they divvy things up but i would suspect some of those are less than 51 percent mm. barley malt derived and probably more fruit juice than anything else yeah. <laughs> um so you know, that that's, I think I would tend to do it more on taste. If I taste something and it's still, or, or sensory, if it looks and tastes like beer, then then I'd say um, it is beer. Right. So, so it would be it moment has, to moment. You don't really have like a definition. Well, that's good because that keeps it open. That, that, that'll actually keep you open to creating different things so you're not boxed in. Exactly. And I, you know, and I'm not, I'm, I used to be more rigid than, than I am now, in all honesty. Like I used to be, you know, just kind of carry the line of, uh, you know, BJCP, if you're familiar with that, um, you know, beer judging and the, and the definitions that they give as, as guidelines for, for judging beers in a competition, you know, it has its place, but it's by no means the, um, you know, the arbiter of what somebody can do in terms of, of creating new styles of beer or expanding the definition of a certain style of beer. Um, you know, it's, it's just, it's something that, um, that morphs and changed with times. And really it's, it's consumers that, that ultimately, ultimately decide. And that's also yep. true. It's not, you know, if, if somebody's not going to buy it, then it's not going to be a success. Yeah. And if somebody's going to Instagram the hell out of it, um, then it probably is going to be a success. So, you know, these days it's it's more about the visuals. It seems. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The more it looks like like a smoothie, and uh, you know, the more it's likely to be photographed and posted and liked, and therefore be sought after. So it's it's a different world, and and it's it's there's a lot of factors involved, and you can't. You can't minimize the effect of social media on Ooh. on how beer has changed, not, especially not in the craft beer scene. Oh my goodness, boy, did we learn that that the expansive social media presence that are either official with breweries or just oh, someone's own accounts, a bunch of influencers. It's a 
huge pool of people that are constantly taking pictures and talking about food and drink in just the state. And yeah. you're right to, to minimize that is would be a mistake. And you guys have done a great job of capitalizing on that. And, um, you know, Kat is our friend and she's been doing a great job for you guys. We've really enjoyed what she's been doing for your accounts, but that stuff's so important. Oh yeah. She's fantastic. And, and it's, you know, that's, that you just have to, um, again, adapt and, and respond to changing times and consumer preferences. And again, it's, as I said earlier, it's consumers who ultimately decide. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, I, I would say one last question for me here and then we'll uh, get you on your way. Something that I am curious about just sort of hearing through this interview whether it's through Two Roads or Area Two or Daybreaker or H Two Roads or whatever sort of entity with Two Roads, is there a passion project that you have sort of in your mind that you want to do with one or all the brands like moving forward? Is there something that you're like, I, I really want to do this if I have the time and resources to do so um, when it comes to Two Roads? Honestly, there's nothing I can can think of uh, top head. You know, it's a, it's a good question. It's a deep question, but I don't, there's, there's no specific thing. And, um, you know, I, I didn't think years ago I would be, well, it's a lot of things I didn't think. I didn't think I'd be making hard seltzers or RTDs, or I didn't think I'd be uh, developing gin recipes, for example, but I'm, I'm doing all that now. Yeah. <laughs> so I look forward to years to come of product development and you know hopefully breaking new ground and I've, I've been having a great time and continue to have a great time with um all the new stuff we're doing and this this shifting shifting environment that we call craft beer and now we work calling craft beverage right yeah <laughs> it's forever so expanded that made sense but that's that's kind of my I think my closing statement, but I'm I'm certainly cool with, with more questions if if you have them. Well, I I has I just have a fun question, Phil. You go to a bar, you go anywhere, and you look up at the menu. Maybe you're not super familiar with the names on the board. What kind of styles of beer are you gradu graduate uh, gravitated to the most? Where's your what's your safe um, style? There are several. I I do. Like lagers, mm -hmm. um, you know, Pilsners. Uh, these days are cruise control, Hellas lagers, kind of a go-to for me. Um, but, you know, if I'm, if I'm either home or at the tasting room, but particularly if, if I'm up in our tasting room, I can't order the same beer twice. I have to bounce around and, and uh, you know, part of it's the work ethic in me. I'm always you know critiquing our beers and tearing them apart um but even from an enjoyment level I, I do like different flavors i like all sorts of styles of beer um you know there's some i i care less for certainly i do gravitate toward ipas pale ales um and lagers mm -hmm. farmhouse ales i you know as seasonally i i like a stout here and there but not on other bases maybe in the summer a couple times over the summer but normally it's like give me a you know give me a pilsner give me a lager give me a pale ale right. yeah. 
give me a West Coast IPA and it made it, you know, a too juicy. I, I really, it's I'm all over the place. Uh, hard to, to drink the same beer, you know, twice in a sitting. Absolutely. Um, I just, I'm always hunting around or bouncing around. I, I will have to say anytime I see the term Hefeweizen, anywhere on someone's board, I will go towards it. And that is because of no limits. So thank you for that. <laughs> oh, thank you for that. That is one of the, that is one of my favorite beers out there. And uh, whenever I see that term and I might not know the brewery, I might not know where, where I might not even know where I am, but I will, that's my safe place. And I will go there. <laughs> uh, awesome. It's great to have a safe place. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, no, I think No Limits, honestly, was like the one, the first beer that really kind of turned my attention over to craft beer and that it wasn't just it, it, in that my naivete, these super heavy, hoppy IPAs, and it wasn't Bud Light or Miller Light. Um, so, yeah, I think No Limits, and I think a lot of people can agree, especially some that are like, you know, in like the late 20s, early 30s, like kind of sort of getting into craft beer either now or a couple years ago that no limits was sort of that bridge with everything. So I agree not to pick it back off of Jeff, but here I am. I okay. also like hop smoke. on my back. I'll, I'll carry you around. It's yeah, fine. no, hundred percent. So, <laughs> um, I, I'm out of all my questions. Jeff is anything else you wanted to ask? Uh, I don't have anything to ask. Uh, just thanks for being an awesome guest. Thanks for coming on. Uh, I, I just want to say thanks for being a really cool sport with our friend who has that, the Instagram account, uh, the fake Phil Instagram. I know that must be kind of strange, but we just appreciate you being a really cool sport about everything. And we're all just really big fans and it's just so, so cool to uh, be so close to a really big brewery like this. So we appreciate it. Oh, thank you guys. And uh, you know, beer should be fun. Yeah. It is fun. Yeah, it is. It should, should not be uptight. It should not be, uh, you know, uncomfortable and the whole scene surrounding it, the people involved, it's, just, it's all be fun and, genial and, and uh you know support each other any way we can agreed so i appreciate you having me on thank you tyler thanks jeff mm -hmm. oh yeah bro. and uh again it's a pleasure and look forward to seeing you guys in the future absolutely Likewise, thank, you, Phil. thank you so much Cheers.